Hey there, welcome to the Next Level Nutrition Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Long, business coach for nutritionists. I help nutritionists just like you create and launch their business and sign their first high-paying client. In this podcast, you'll learn practical strategies to start and grow your nutrition business that you can implement right away. You'll also hear from a ton of guests who have started their own thriving nutrition businesses and share what they've learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to the podcast. I have a special treat for you guys today. I actually brought on a naturopathic doctor to talk all about avoiding burnout in your business. So what I did was bring on Dr. Amanda Che all to talk about how to avoid burnout, how to recognize when it's there, um, what to do about it, tips and kind of life skills for overcoming burnout. And then she differentiates between, you know, personal kind of burnout um, or burnout from like a nine to five job versus entrepreneurial burnout. So it's really interesting. Um, I really highly recommend listening to this episode because we dig into some pretty unique things that come with being an entrepreneur, which I know a lot of us can relate to. So Dr. Amanda is a naturopathic physician and burnout pro. She helps female entrepreneurs overcome and prevent burnout so that they can continue being highly productive while also experiencing physical, mental, and emotional balance. We all need that. (laughs) So she's on a mission to empower more women to slow down, say no, and take care of themselves without guilt. As well as supporting female entrepreneurs, Dr. Amanda also owns a busy clinic in BC, Canada, and a stress supplement company uh, called Enliven Naturals. So let's welcome Amanda to the podcast. Hey, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to talk all about burnout with everyone. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks, Stephanie. I'm so excited. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I just love your information. It's so informative, so I'm pumped to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because burnout is something that I think happens very often. And I think we're, you know, as a society talking a lot more about it now than maybe we've ever been. Um, But I know it's something I fall into a lot. And I really have to check myself to see if I'm pushing too hard or working too hard. Um, And I know that it's just something so prevalent and, you know, everywhere these days, not just entrepreneurs, but especially as entrepreneurs, you know, we're constantly kind of pushing ourselves to that edge. So um, I know you have a lot of experience with it. So why don't you just get started by telling us a little bit about your personal health story and like how you came across burnout or why you're focusing on burnout now? Sure. So I'll start. So it was when I was in school, actually, I was 24 years old uh, in my second year of naturopathic medical school. And I was sitting in class one day and I suddenly felt lightheaded. The room started to spin. My hands started to tingle. My chest felt really heavy and I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, I thought something was really wrong. And actually, one of my friends and colleagues had to take me to the hospital. (laughs) And I know it was crazy. And after a bunch of blood work and physical exams by the doctors, I was just told that I was experiencing a panic attack from way too much stress. Wow. Yeah. So that was my first kind of burnout experience. And I was sent home with no support and I had to figure out what to what to really do about it. And since I was learning about stress, I thought, oh, you know, like I can figure out how to treat this myself. But it became pretty clear pretty quickly that I needed some help. So um, yeah, that's when I went to, I booked an appointment at the clinic at my school, naturopathic medicine, and we ran labs and went through further testing to make sure my levels were optimal, not just normal. I started on some supplements uh, specific to me and the support I needed. I looked at diet for stress and how to optimize my digestion, went over exercise, sleeping and et cetera. 
So after a few weeks of that, I felt like I got my life back. So (laughs) that's kind of where I realized how as a society, we're just so focused on go, go, go and success equals burnout, really. And it was just kind of from that point, moving forward, trying to trying to figure out where to help other people, I guess, heal from that, because it's super, super prevalent. Yeah. So what I'm curious, what do you think drove you to that place of burnout to begin with? Was it like, just everything going on at school, like lifestyle stuff? Like, can you remember or bring yourself back to that moment? Like what kind of led you to that place of like, okay, I can't take anymore? Well, I mean, I think it was that moment of having a panic attack and not not realizing that's what it was. I literally thought something physically wrong was happening. Mm. Um, But it was just overwork. It was like drinking way too much coffee, getting up at 6am, studying till 9am, going to school from nine till five, doing clinic from like six till nine, and then coming back home and studying again, just this pattern that was kind of reinforced in school, which is ironic, because it was a naturopathic medical school. So, <laughs> <laughs> But I think you're right, that happens everywhere, yes. right? Even if we're working a nine to five job, it's like, you know, you go to work, you come home, like if you're not meal prepping or planning, you're grabbing takeout, yes. and you might have kids, it's like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's happening everywhere. So um, I mean, I think our bodies are so interesting that you know they probably at some point was giving you a sign I'm yes. sure <laughs> you were going through it but you know if we're not really listening we just miss the sign and then it's like the sign all of a sudden it sounds like for you became like a slap in the face of like you have to listen to what's going on yes and for a lot of people that come to see me that is kind of the point that they come to see me and from there it becomes healing burnout and then teaching them okay what are the little tiny signs that we're looking for along the way so you don't actually get to a place like this again Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So I'm curious then if, okay, so you went to naturopathic school, you went through this whole process of burnout, you know, probably healing the adrenals, getting back to a place of, you know, balance or as balanced as we can be yes. in this day and age. Um, then what was it like leaving school and building your practice? Because um, I, I can only speak from experience where, you know, that can be a whole burnout scenario in and of itself, you know, where you're now putting in all these hours all this time. What was that like for you? So that was, it was, it was definitely another kind of burnout scenario. And so that was another kind of reteaching lesson for myself, but I I did it a little bit differently. So I bought a practice from a retiring doctor. So I actually started out just kind of hitting the ground running. Um, Mm -hmm. And as you probably know from graduating and starting school, I mean, you learn so much information and you do put it into practice while you're in school. But then when you're actually there by yourself, it becomes this whole other um, like monstrous task that you could never imagine. So it, it was really, really challenging. And from there is just kind of taking the lessons I learned from burnout in school and just kind of shifting them to practice and how to really manage my time, prioritize self-care and um, like having someone like my husband, for example, is my person that was like, Hey, you need to actually stop and, and take time and having that support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having that person to kind of reflect like, you're pushing it too hard. Yes. This is too much and like, reminding you that you need to take a little bit of a step back. Yes. For um, sure. I'm so interested in this, uh, how you took over a clinic. And I don't know if you if you don't mind talking oh, totally, a little bit yeah. about that, because yeah. I think for so many people, um, there I've seen opportunities for other nutritionists, you know, who are maybe selling a practice, mm. and saying, hey, why don't you come in and take over this well established practice, or people who are just curious about working in a clinic. So can you just talk a little bit about like, what was that like for you? Were, were you busy right away? Were you working with like ideal clients? Were there some learning curves? Like, yeah, just kind of jam on that for a little bit. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the reason why I bought a practice, so I, it wasn't actually my plan, but 
Um, I knew that we wanted to kind of figure out where we wanted to live first and then build our my practice around that because I had talked to lots of practitioners that built their practice and then moved to their kind of ideal location and then had to restart from the ground up again. And that was really stressful. Mm -hmm. So we decided to do the opposite, go and we went and camped to different mountain towns in BC and Alberta for a month and a half to find where we wanted to live. And then I ended up interviewing a bunch of different naturopaths around the areas and the one in the town that we found, she said she was going to retire in a year. So that's how I ended up buying her practice. But in terms of starting out, yeah, it was it was super, super busy, which was good. Um, I have a completely different practice style. So I did lose a lot of patients at first because I wasn't, I was more kind of uh, like a modern practitioner compared to how she mm. was. So it was, it was hard for, for some people, but I did spend about three months shadowing her without pay to kind of build that rapport and trust with a lot of patients. So I did have um, a good transition. But I do think, because I have a lot of colleagues that tried to start out as associates by themselves, and I do think that taking over practice is, if someone has an opportunity, a really good idea, because then you can kind of, um, you know, you start with a, a good foundation. And I mean, really, it's word of mouth that builds your practice. If you already have a, a bit of a base to start with, then it becomes a lot easier to, to build your practice and actually find your ideal clients. Because no, I didn't start out with all my ideal clients. Mm, so you really had to build it over time. And yes, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I think the trust is really there, right? When you're taking over someone else's practice. And I, it sounds like you did it in the best way possible, like job shadowing. So people are kind of learning who you are. And there's always going to be those bumps, like, you know, you might lose a few clients here and there. But I think it sounds to me like setting yourself up like that is going to take away a lot of that growing pains from the beginning of trying to set everything up on your own. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, there is a lot of things that you do need to change throughout the process, but at least you're starting with a foundation, a bit of income. And so at least those stressors are a little bit more minimized compared to just starting out by yourself. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm sure your practice probably looks so different now than when you first started out. So how long have you been in practice with your location? So I've been in practice for almost three years now. In the, in, and I just actually took over the clinic. That was my first practice. <laughs> I, I took a year <laughs> off after school to try and recover from being burned out. Um, because I mean, you just keep going. I was doing a lot better and I was able to graduate on time. I didn't have to reduce my course load. I passed everything, but it's still a lot of kind of, you know, healing from there. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I did take a year off before I started, but it's been about three years now. Three years. Mm -hmm. So why don't you walk us through like how your practice has really, maybe how you run your practice differently. Like what did it kind of look like from the beginning? You know, was it the long hours? Was it the pushing and like burning candle at both ends? And what is it like now? Or is it kind of the same? Curious how, how you're approaching things now, knowing that burnout is a possibility for you. Yes. No, that's such a good question. Cause it did, it started out down a similar kind of burnout pathway. I was working all the time. Um, when you own a clinic, you come home or, or a practice or anything, you come home and you're thinking about it all the time. My mind could never shut off. I was seeing patients all day, then coming home and doing my charts at night. So there was really no boundary between work and home and and I didn't really have any hobbies. Like, like basically my <laughs> hobby in my life was starting out this practice. And I definitely changed a lot from them because I did recognize that I was kind of, you know, moving towards burnout again. And I had to do something really quickly about that. So, I mean, there's very specific things I do now to, to, um, to prevent being burned out. But a lot of it has to do with managing my patient time better, managing my relationships with patients better. So in terms of setting boundaries, Mm -hmm. um, like saying no to people that I know I won't be the best to serve and then just really, really um, 
I was going to use the word strict. That sounds a bit intense, but just being very um, dedicated to my self care. <laughs> mm, yeah, you said a lot of good points there because mm-hmm. I think it it's boundaries with yourself and boundaries with the client. Yes. It can't be one or the other because, no. you know, we could be good at our own self-care, but then we're letting our clients, you know, kind of dictate dictate our time mm-hmm. um, or opposite where, you know, we have a lot of boundaries with clients, but we have no self boundaries. So yes. <laughs> what do boundaries with your clients look like? So the, so boundaries with my clients, I mean, I started out, so because I took over a practice and I was trying to really, um, I was basically trying to give my, well, I mean, I always do, but I was trying to give 120% to every single patient. So I was going above and beyond in terms of patient research. I was emailing them (laughs) um, (laughs) and, you know, on my time off and calling them and these types of things. So I did come to recognize that, okay, I can't be emailing people all the time. So some clear boundaries are no emails except under very specific circumstances. So I have someone to answer my emails. If you're doing things online, it could be more of a VA type situation, but just someone to be a bit of a barrier. And then Mm -hmm. if the email is going to take a lot of time, I recommend they book a visit instead. Um, I'm very, I'm a lot uh, better with my time management in terms of if they have an hour, then I just stop at the hour, whereas I used to go over a lot before and, um, and just kind of reframing that instead of saying, oh, no, I'm cutting them off their time saying, well, I'm actually, this is better for the next person (laughs) because I'm not going over on their time. So just kind of Mm -hmm. reframing it for my brain instead of feeling like I was not doing well for them, but just kind of doing well for everybody else Um, Mm -hmm. and still serving them, obviously. But And then, like I said, saying no to people I know I won't be the best to serve. So conditions that I don't see very often, I used to just spend hours and hours researching them. And then I realized this is not, it's not my area of expertise. So I'm just not the best person to serve them. And even though I'm in a small town, so I've just set up a really good referral network for people that I know. You know what? Like this is not my area of expertise. It's not something that I know... um, that I'm going to be the best person to help them. So I just kind of refer out a lot now. So when it comes to kind of staying in your lane um, and like attracting those clients that maybe feel like a better fit for you, mm-hmm. do you find like those people, like the one, the type of clients maybe who are more respectful of boundaries and who fit that um, kind of more of just that ideal client for you? Do you feel like you're getting more of those now that you've been more clear with who you want to attract and who you kind of want to cut out? Yes, absolutely. Mm, Yeah. And there was a lot of fear that, oh, no, if I become more focused and if I say no to people, then, you know, no one's going to book in. I'm going to upset everyone and my practice is going to fall apart. But I mean, that (laughs) never happened. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like now that you've, I guess, in a sense, you didn't have maybe those growing pains of not really having any clients at the beginning um, where some people, you know, they come out of school and they're starting up their practice and they're like, you know, one client trickles in and then they don't get a few and so on and so forth. Do you find like um, now you have more consistency of clients um, because you're really strong in like who you want to help and how you help them or does it still really fluctuate? Uh, well, in terms of consistency, I mean, so I'm in a small town. So I think that that kind of changes things a little bit. I mean, I so I still see people like all different ages, all different, um, like every different type of condition. But because I have such a focus now on stress, lifestyle, diet, I do see those people that are more willing to work on those things specifically, whereas I think before it was just, I'll help 
anyone with anything. Whereas now, because I see that such a pattern with every every different disease, and that's what I see in my practice. Um, in terms of online, I am developing some online programs specifically for female entrepreneurs and burnout. And so when I'm on Instagram, that's who I'm talking to. And so those people, I mean, in terms of um, that kind of following of people and that group of women, I mean, I'm, it's very specific and targeted for them. So it's a bit of a tricky question to answer just because in a small town, it's a lot harder to specifically niche. But in mm-hmm. terms of ideal clients who... I guess, respect boundaries more and are more looking at dealing with diet, lifestyle, et cetera, then yeah, I would say that that's a lot more consistent. And I mean, taking over practice too, it wasn't, it was, I did have some days where it was really, really slow and it is stressful <laughs> and mm-hmm. you do feel like you need to help everyone, but it does make a big difference if you just kind of focus on one area that you're really going to become an expert in and then just kind of help people with that. Mm-hmm. I really love that you said that because I think so many of us can relate to that feeling of, you know, I have to take everyone because yes. if I say no, then I'm not going to get any clients. Exactly. And yeah. I think, you know, kind of what I was alluding to before is sometimes when you get clear and you kind of hone in on a specific type of person you want to work with, it might get slow for a little bit yes. because you might be cutting out some people, but that doesn't mean it's going to be that way forever. And there's always ebbs and flows with with clients, you know, um, especially if maybe you're just focusing in person. Like you said, it might be a little bit harder to find all those people in your location, mm-hmm. you know, and then broadening out to something like an online business gives you that new market of people. You know, it's not just you and your little town. It's, you know, anybody in the world that feels like they could use your support. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you've talked about on your podcast and I hear it all the time. It's like niching down, you know, and I think it's really scary. And it took me a long time to kind of figure out what my passion was and who I like to work with a lot. But it, it, it does make a huge difference once once you shift. And you're right, you will lose some people, but you're going to gain more people that are more passionate about what you do and are more that you just enjoy working with a lot more. Mm-hmm. It becomes more of that like soul work, I guess, of yes. work that you feel like you're meant to do versus like kind of being a cog in the machine of like, okay, client, 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 client. It's like the more passionate work. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So I'd love to shift gears a little bit, sure. um, kind of going back to the burnout. And I'm just really curious how you, like, what things do you do right now? What techniques or what do you put in place, you know, tangible things to avoid burnout in your practice right now other than the boundaries yeah for sure so I mean some in terms of managing my patient time so the a huge shift that I made um pretty early on probably in the first six months was reducing the amount of prep time that I do and I know because I've had I have a lot of friends that are nutritionists that that is a huge thing we end up we see someone that's coming in with a certain condition and then spend hours and hours prepping for them um, so I only do 20 minutes max per before my shift, and that's maximum per per whole shift. Um, mm. And that's because some people, I mean, some people just don't show up. <laughs> so you end up spending yeah. a lot of time and they don't come. Um, and then you actually end up spending more time listening to the person in front of you instead of kind of using this protocol that you've learned in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last part of that is, I mean, we often feel like we need to give our clients all of the information, but that does become really overwhelming for people. So if you just start with the basics and what you already know, and then reassess. I mean, a lot of times people will get better with just the basic information and then you can kind of build from there. Mm-hmm. Did you find that you ever, or maybe when you started, did you feel like you were giving too much and overwhelming people? Or do you feel like because you took over the practice and job shadowed, you kind of learned from, right from the beginning, like, okay, scale back. 
make things easy, make things approachable? Or was it a learning curve for you? <laughs> I mean, I think I learned that that's what I should be doing. That's not what I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had to see it and then understand it and then actually like, you know, do it and give people too much information and then get that feedback. And then that's when I actually change what I was doing a little bit mm -hmm. yeah because mm -hmm. you feel like people are paying for you for your their time so you want to give them all this information but it's just too much for them yeah, yeah. it's really um refreshing to hear you talk about this because I hear this all the time of people saying you know I'm so scared I'm going to give too much I won't know what to say I don't know how to run the session and you know for you like you were just thrown into it so you have to learn as you went and yes. you know um, I really appreciate that you're sharing that, you know, you probably made some mistakes or you probably did things maybe the way that you wouldn't do that now, but you're being honest that like it takes time to refine your skills and, and run a practice that, you know, people are responding to a lot more. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, definitely. There's lots of trial and error involved. So hopefully someone gets something from this and they don't have to go through that, but... Oh, I think so. It's always nice to hear when you're not like the only one thinking or feeling these ways. Yes. Um, you know, I think so many of us think we're the only person that's like worried about something or, you know, I think so many of us feel this way. And it's just better when we talk about how, you know, things are a process. It's not like you're going to jump into your practice and, you know, have 100% client success right from the beginning. Like you're probably going to have some some learning curve or some like ebb and flow. I know I did. I my first few clients, I didn't do too well with. And thankfully, there were friends and family and cousins. Um, but you know, they didn't really get a lot from my sessions. And then it was like, Oh, okay, how can I change this and make this better? Yes. And then make it a bit better. And then okay, how can I change that and make it a bit better? But you know, now I'm like five, six years down the road of working with clients, obviously in a different capacity now, but like now I feel more refined, yes. but it took that time. So we can't just like stop ourselves before we even begin. Oh, for sure. And I mean, you need to, I mean, you need to have those experiences and even going back to the ideal client situation. I mean, sometimes you have an experience with a patient or a client and it's just not what you're hoping for. And I mean that you, you need to kind of reflect and say, okay, instead of saying, Oh, no, this was so terrible. You have to say, Okay, well, what can I learn for this experience? And how do I move forward? And maybe it was just not the right type of client. Maybe it was just that you did something wrong. I mean, it's just all about learning and kind of refining and moving forward from there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's like, it's like a job within a job. Yes. <laughs> the practice is your job. But then the other job is like refining the actual business as well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I do in terms of my practice is um, batching client hours into smaller chunks of time. And I mean, this also took about a year and a half to really figure out to figure this out. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, if I found that if I just batch my time, so if I see patients for four hours a day, back to back, um, and then I have four hours in the afternoon to work on something more creative or um you know, to work on Instagram posts or whatever it is. I mean, just kind of batching time is is huge. And then you get a lot more done instead of wasting time kind of shifting between different things. And I found that that was, in terms of preventing burnout, that was huge because then I'm achieving a lot more and a lot less time. So mm -hmm. yeah. So what would be like, uh, and maybe this is ever evolving, but what's like your, your um, best number of clients a day or the, the amount of clients you can take on without being like completely exhausted, you know, zombie like at the end of the day. Yeah. So I mean, when I started out, I was seeing patients like seven to seven and a half hours a day. 
Um, and that was, I mean, by the time I had my last patient, I could barely remember who my first patient was. So that was way <laughs> too much. Now I'm down to about um, anywhere between uh, six to eight patients a day. And mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, that's still probably a little bit too much. So I'm working on trying to to decrease that a little bit by bringing another naturopath in. But um, it's I think it's gonna be different for every person. But I think for me, I mean, the my optimal amount would probably be six, because then I can be really um, focused and present and really engaged with those people because I find anything more than that you tend to um there's just too much going on I think (laughs) yeah yeah and there's like where's the time for you to kind of process as well exactly appointment by appointment well and I have a really um a question that maybe a little bit selfishly I just want I'm really curious how you've um made this transition but you know it's very clear that you you know came out of school started this practice or you know fell into this practice or purchased this practice that, you know, kept you very busy. Um, you were, you took on all the, any type of client and then refined it to, you know, okay, here's the ideal client, you know, um, as much as possible women with burnout or people that want to work on stress and diet and so on and so forth. Yes. Um, and then this sounds like it's more been in like an in-person one-on-one scenario, but I know that you had mentioned, um, earlier that you're working on some online programs. Uh, I guess this is kind of a double question. Like, how did that process work for you? Like, how did you know when you needed to do that? Mm -hmm. But also, I'm curious if you feel like you needed that one-on-one time to be able to move into more of like an online format or a group format for people. Yeah, those are two great questions. I definitely think I needed the one-on-one time to move into that. And um, it's funny because I was talking to my business coach when I first started and I said, Hey, I really want to make, you know, e-courses for people so I could teach them a bunch of information online. And she's like, well, maybe you should start with the group coaching first. And I, you know, I didn't really think about that at first, but it makes a lot of sense, but absolutely doing the one-on-one is huge because that's when you really refine your systems, you know, and you get to, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, experiment <laughs> and yeah. see what works best and what doesn't. And then because you see so many people with the one-on-one, it really refines how you do things and how to get the quickest results for people. Mm-hmm, um, absolutely. And then how did you like, what's been the process for you kind of taking what you're doing one-on-one with people and now like figuring out how to move that into like a group or like online format? Yeah. Do you mean when, like, when did I realize or just what? I guess- I guess I, I probably have like 10 questions I could ask you, but I guess, yeah. When did you realize like for you, was that at a, oh God, I'm like burning out or I'm at a cap of how many clients I could see. And then also, um, I'm also curious, like what kind of steps are you putting in place to prepare yourself for running some type of online group program? Yeah. Okay. Well, so starting out, I mean, it was a bit of both. It was, I did recognize in myself that burnout was um, coming <laughs> again. I, yeah, I had a, an experience where I showed up at work one day and I just started crying because I was so overwhelmed. And I thought, oh no, like what is happening? This can't happen again. So then I really had to sit back and reflect and do a lot of meditation and figure out what, like, what is imbalanced here? Because everything, I mean, theoretically should be going the way that, you know, going really well. And it was uh, from an outsider perspective, but there's something that still wasn't quite where I wanted it to be. And it was because I put so much effort and love into every patient that I I was just kind of going a bit above and beyond still. And I think when you see so many different conditions and don't really try and um, niche down what you're doing, you're spending a lot of time doing research and that can become really overwhelming because it's impossible to be (laughs) on top of, you know, the research for everything all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then because I was recognizing that I was starting to, to be burnt out again, I mean, another part of that is 
um, to be honest, like financially, when if you know that you can only serve this many people, if you want to serve them really well in a day, if you're doing one on one, you kind of reach a bit of a limit financially of what you can do. And um, going through school and being in a lot of debt, it's like I was looking at, at that. And I knew that it was going to be a long time before I felt any sort of financial freedom to go travel and do all those things that I had kind of planned on doing um, mm-hmm. when I was in school. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. You're right. Like you can only it's not like you could see 30 patients a day, like you need to cut it off somewhere. I mean, I, it's smart what you're doing, bringing on like an associate ND or somebody to yes. help you, right? But we a lot of us kind of are at that stage of like, okay, I'm not making maybe enough money to hire someone else. But I need to change things, I need to scale this. Yes. Um, so like, are you, again, I think I kind of said this before, what are like the the steps you're taking? Like, how are you now taking what you learned or what, you know, client relationships you had and like turning that into an online group program? Like, is it taking you a while to do that? Um, or is it something like you've refined your processes in person with people so much that you like could whip together a group program in no time because everybody that you're seeing now presents so similarly? Yeah, you know, what? I've treated people with burnout and overwhelm and anxiety so much now that I've refined them I have a very specific kind of sequence of steps that I go through now. I mean, it still focuses on the person as an individual, but I've done it so much that um, it's very, yeah, I could probably whip something together pretty easy. It's more now about, um, I mean, I, we didn't learn a lot of business in school. So for me, a, a huge step was hiring a business coach to help me kind of figure out what that le- what that looked like and to actually learn that you could do group group programs online, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we, d- we only know what we know, right? Exactly, and- yeah we only think this is the one way to do it. And then yes. learning that there's so many different options. Yes. Of um, course. Yeah. And I, and I like that. It, you know, again, I don't think it necessarily has to take you, you know, three years of working one-on-one with clients, but I think at the same time, a lot of people want to jump into an online group program right away mm-hmm. without really understanding, you know, how does this work on a more personal, you know, case by case process. Um, I think you, if you jump right into an online, creating an online or group program right away, you don't really have that, you know, I like to say like methodology or framework built up for how to help multiple people at one time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I do think doing the one-on-one and like I said, kind of experimenting a bit, learning, taking what you've learned in school and then applying it to different people and then seeing which, which way works the best and then kind of having your own, your own methodology from there, I think is really key. (laughs) Mm-hmm, absolutely. So speaking of that methodology, um, I really did want to ask you, you know, when it comes to burnout, what are some of the, I guess, tips or tricks or health recommendations you're sharing with your clients? Like, are there any practical things you can share with us to kind of t- teach us um, as a collective? Like, how are you working with your clients to help them af- um, avoid any burnout? Sure. Well, why don't I give you, because I can go through kind of the five steps that I usually do with people and that I can go through some very specific kind of tips that I, that I usually give. Do you want that me to would go be that way? absolutely great. Yeah, let's okay, go great. for it. <laughs> awesome. So the first thing I always do with, with patients is lab testing. So I make sure everyone has basic labs such as ferritin, thyroid, B12. Um, there's a few other just to make sure that optimal levels, because oftentimes I'll see people that present with feeling burnt out and low energy. And I mean, we can work on the burnout, but if your iron levels are really, really low, (laughs) then your energy is not going to get to where it needs to be. Or 
I'll have women that say, oh, my anxiety and burnout feels so much worse before my period. And I mean, that can be a sign of your progesterone being too low. So again, we need to kind of look at it from a holistic perspective. So I'll often use uh, something called the Dutch hormone testing. And that looks at stress hormones, sex hormones, organic acid testing for vitamins, looks at neurotransmitter, le- neurotransmitter levels and oxidative stress. So I usually start with some comprehensive testing to get a baseline first. Um, and then I go through diet. And I mean, that varies uh, based on the patient's individual needs and what they're currently eating and experiencing. So that's really looking at, I mean, um, if someone's experiencing more anxiety in their burnout, but they're not eating a lot of protein, that, that comes to, you know, increasing their protein. So they're getting good neurotransmitters. Um, or if someone is getting a lot of bloating from, uh, let's say like adding probiotics in or adding lots of fiber in, I mean, then they probably have something like SIBO <laughs> and mm-hmm. that can, that can cause, as you probably know, some uh, like leaky gut symptoms that can cause some inflammation in the brain and that can exacerbate symptoms. So it's really kind of looking and, and seeing what's going on with digestion after that. Mm-hmm. Like a puzzle piecing together. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> everything's all connected. So if you just look at one thing, I mean, you're not going to get the, the sustainable long-term results that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I look at lifestyle. So it's looking at their daily routine, uh, learning how much to exercise and what type of exercise, looking at sleep. And again, this really depends on what's happening with the labs and with their specific symptoms. Um, and then mindset. So looking at boundaries, which we talked about before, uh, just beliefs and just guilt about being busy. And then lastly, supplements. So um, I find that I am a big fan of supplements. I don't like giving people, you know, 20 supplements at a time, but I do find a few different supplements will really help just speed the process on a lot more quickly, depending on what's going on for them specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's very much, I think, in line with like as holistic nutritionists, the type of recommendations we do. But one thing I was thinking of while you were speaking was um, the way at least that I learned in school and that I know a lot of other holistic nutritionists learn is, you know, the lifestyle, the supplements and nutrition. Um, and then we get like maybe a list of like, okay, because I'm piecing together these puzzle pieces, there's about 20 things that I should get this client to do. Yes. So in that first consultation, or maybe the second one, they'll give the list of 20 things to the client mm-hmm. and say, here you go, here's everything that could solve your life. Good luck. Yes. <laughs> um, how do you approach that? Do you drip things out to people? Um, yes. I'm assuming you probably are seeing them more than once. So maybe talk to us about like, how often are you seeing them? Are you giving just like one or two recommendations? Like how deep do you go each session? So it really depends on what, I mean, for, if we're talking about women specifically that are coming in for burnout. So I always start with it. Well, I mean, it depends on the severity of the burnout. If they're so burnt out that they can't even go to work and they're on stress leave, then I really start with heavy kind of adrenal support supplements and doing some testing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll just start with one or two things and just a lot of relaxation, like getting them to actually schedule in time to not do anything, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. if they're coming in with just feeling more overwhelmed, and they feel like they're on the verge of burnout, then I'll start with more basic diet lifestyle, maybe one supplement. Um, And then usually a couple weeks later, I check in to see how that's going. Because I mean, not everyone's going to respond the same to each supplement. So I think it's it's important to check in and see what's going on. Because within a few weeks, they should be feeling a lot better if you're adding in some sort of adrenal support. Um, Mm -hmm. if they're not, then they're not on the right, then they're not on the right thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and then for those people, then I start looking at more lifestyle mindset later on, uh, as opposed to the people that are already kind of on stress. I look at that a bit more soon. Okay. Yeah. So then what I hear you saying is like, you're obviously seeing these people more than once. Yes. 
it's not just like a one and done model where they're coming in, you're giving them everything. Like, do you find that it's more of a, a coaching model then? Like they come in and you're, you're coaching them through all of the recommendations? Uh, yes. Again, it kind of depends on the patient. That's why I, I, I used to hate when people would say it depends on the patient, but it's so true. Um, <laughs> when you're in practice is like, it really depends on what that specific person needs. And so for the way I normally set up my practice is I do the initial visit. That's about an hour long. And then usually I see people within two to three weeks for half an hour follow-up and then usually monthly just to monitor. But it depends if someone's severely burnt out, then I do see them more on like a weekly or, or every second week basis. And that becomes more of a coaching. Um, mm-hmm. It just depends on where they're at in, in terms of their healing. But I think it's a, it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's just good to give the perspective of, um, especially when we're working with something that obviously has taken a long time to develop. Yes. Right? It's not like adrenal burnouts coming like, you know, from one situation that, you know, yes. and then you're depleted. Like it's probably a lot of little things or one traumatic event that's like really impacted you. So, you know, I think when we're setting up our practice and we're really going at it with, you know, how can we best help someone? We need to remember that it takes time to help them. It's not just a one-off consultation and they're going to get all the tools. Like it's usually, you know, breaking it down into smaller parts and having them come back in and like assessing where they're at. Yes. And like super, like I was saying before, just really small manageable parts. So if you are assessing someone's diet, for example, and you see that, um, like if, like I said, with burnout, their main symptom is anxiety as opposed to depression, um, and they don't have any protein. I mean, instead of talking to them about decreasing inflammation in their diet, I would just talk to them about increasing protein. <laughs> so mm. just one thing instead of saying you could increase your protein plus like do this and this and this and this because that's just too much. So I just focus on whatever I think is really important for them to do, and then slowly trickle in those other things throughout the next few visits. Mm-hmm. I love that you said that. I hope that was a light bulb for everyone yes. <laughs> that heard that because I think we're just so, like you said, you know, we want to give so much. We're like, hey, they paid, they're yes. taking their time, and we're like, take all this information. But that can be, I think, more detrimental sometimes. Oh, for because sure. Because then we turn turn people into overwhelm, which, well, for you, you're trying not to do. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You're trying to help them avoid that. Um, do you ever worry that, you know? people are going to question if that you're not giving enough or that they're not getting their money's worth? Like, do you ever have feelings about that? Or do you find that a lot of your clients appreciate that you scale it back and there's way more success and then they're way more likely to refer you to friends or family and things like that? You know what? I used to worry about that so much and I'd give people so much information and then I'd have people come back. I would see them then I hadn't seen them in six months and they came back and they would say, and this happened like when I first took over, um, I really liked our appointment, but you gave me so much information that I didn't even know what to do with it all. <laughs> so I'm back now because I'm actually ready to do some of the things. And so because I've had that, I had that feedback at the beginning, then now I know people actually appreciate if you do, if you give them less, like give them one or two. Um, I, I mean, again, depending on the situation, but most times I give them one, I would say probably one to three very concrete things that they can actually achieve. Um and that's kind of how, how I do it. And it, and it's, they appreciate it more because they can actually do it. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll have people, just because I know this is something that nutritionists talk about a lot, but is like sugar and, and yeast. And, um, but for some people, just completely cutting out sugar from their diet is way too much. So if they're having 10 teaspoons of sugar in their tea, then I say, okay, well, why don't you go down to eight teaspoons and then mm-hmm. let's follow up and see how you're doing with that. And then they feel really empowered because they're actually able to achieve that instead of just saying, stop all sugar and... Um, 
you know, and see what happens. I mean, some people can, of course, stop all sugar, but a lot, a lot of people prefer to do a more slower approach because <laughs> it's yeah. more, it's more sustainable and, and they feel like they can actually do it. Yeah. I guess that also goes to like knowing your client, knowing their personality, how yes. they work best, you know, and I always try to recommend here on the podcast and to my clients, like ask your clients, like ask them, yes, how do you learn best? You know, how do you achieve success best? What's worked for you in the past? What hasn't worked? Like when you hit a roadblock, how do you move through it? Like really learn about your client yes. and use your consultation time to learn about them so that, you know, if a roadblock comes, you're not like, oh gosh, I failed them. It's done. They hate me. And, and totally. you know, you never see them again. Like learn what works for them and what doesn't. So you, it's like a teamwork um, thing versus like you against them or, or you guys not connecting well. Oh, yeah. Um, can I say two things to that? Um, yeah, the one absolutely. thing I want to say, uh, because I know when I first started, I thought this a lot, if I didn't, if someone didn't come back after our first appointment, I'd feel so upset and crushed and they hated the appointment. But now after being in practice for three years, almost all of those people have come back mm-hmm. <laughs> and they actually love their appointment. It was totally fine. It was just me worrying about it. So now if I don't see someone for a long period of time, it's 99% of the time, it's something that's going on with them. Like they're too busy or finances or whatever the case may be. So I think it's really important to not kind of, you know, take that on yourself because that's going to make you feel more burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, just to add on to your last point, I often talk to people about decreasing the amount of coffee that they're having. And then one of the things I always do is just watch their reaction. If I say, I want you to do uh, only two cups of coffee a week, if they're like, oh, okay, cool, then I know that that's going to be doable for them. If they you know, freeze and look panicked. <laughs> then I say, well, what's a realist? Like, what do you think realistically you could do based on how much you're having now? And they'll, they'll just tell you, they'll say, I think maybe I could do one and a half cups a day, or I could do two cups a day or whatever it is. But they'll tell you if you just ask. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you've done much studying um, of like motivational interviewing skills. Have, did you guys do any of no. that in schooling? Yeah, that's a new part um, of the school that I went to Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, they just added that course in and I was teaching it for a little while. And it's actually really interesting, because the whole basis is that, you know, instead of being that practitioner that kind of has a list of things tells a client doesn't really ask them, like, is this doable for you? You know, that relationship can be a little bit strained, because the person feels like they're being talked at Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, working with them, asking them what's doable for you, how do you work best, you know, just like you said, what's realistic for you and putting them in the driver's seat and making them, you know, kind of accountable for their own health. So like being the cheerleader, being the support system for them, but making them make the decision, you know, a lot of the times we can tell someone to do something, but it's not until they kind of hear themselves say that they can do it, you know, they might not do it. So it's putting them in that driver's seat. Yes, absolutely. That's so awesome. I'll have to look into that. I haven't heard of that before. But no, that's great. Yeah, there's a good book. I think it's just motivational interviewing for healthcare or for health professionals. And yeah, it's a really good book kind of for everybody to read. I think it's just helpful to always learn how, you know, to work with clients a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. No, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you for sharing all about how you help your clients. I think that just again, is like very concrete information everyone can hear and reflect on. I think also, you know, people can see this and see that it doesn't have to be super complicated. Mm-hmm. It just has to be practical and approachable. Yes. So yeah, for sure. I really appreciate that you shared that. And then the other thing I was um, hoping you could share just before we wrap up is, 
you know, if somebody sitting there listening, you know, maybe they clicked on this episode because they're like, yep, I have burnout or I'm going towards burnout and they feel like they need to, you know, set some things in motion to kind of stop that process of burning out as an entrepreneur. What would you recommend that they could start out with right now? Yes. So the, um, the one thing that I want to mention too quickly is that there's a big difference between, I've been doing a lot of research and they actually have research coming out showing a big difference between how entrepreneurs experience burnout, which is more the the people that you're talking to here on the thing of this pat on this podcast versus how employees experience burnout. So that's really interesting. There's different kind of um, phases that they go through. Mm. Um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to tell you quickly about that? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, sure. I'm curious about this. <laughs> um, here, just let me pull up because. Uh, her, her name's Suzanne Jade Barclay, and she's done a lot of good research on this. So basically, the way that employees experience burnout is emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and decreased sense of accomplishment. But when they research entrepreneurs and how they experience burnout, it's physical breakdown, mental exhaustion, and lack of challenge or boredom. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so physical breakdown is problem sleeping, eating, concentrating, uh, feeling like you have increased sensitivity to stress, foods, noises, and chemicals. Um, mental exhaustion is trouble with decision making, serious brain fog. Um, as you know, as an entrepreneur, you're thinking about your business all the time. So that's when overthinking is actually making you feel physically exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then boredom is after you've grown your business, it seems less challenging, which makes you feel bored. <laughs> yeah. Um, in this, in this one, you can still feel like you have good energy and clear thinking, but it's a lack of challenge that makes you feel burned out. So I thought that was really interesting when I, when I learned about that, but. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess there's more, it's like a different sense of ownership, right? Yes. You know, for some people in a nine to five job, it's more of like, you're just the employer, like I think I said earlier, cog in the machine, right? Yes, you're just totally. kind of going with the flow where when you're yeah. an entrepreneur, it's like, usually it comes from a place of creativity yes that like you want to push yourself forward so yeah I can see that that there would be a difference I just never thought of it that way I know yeah it's really interesting so I'll give you some tips and I these are more based on the entrepreneur um, type of burnout um, just because that's probably who who we're talking to here more so mm-hmm. the the first step is don't work all the time. <laughs> I know it's really obvious, but it's it's huge. I mean, actually, you know, having set hours for when you're done work. Um, yeah. I really thought my business was going to fail and patient care would suffer if I didn't work all the time. But, you know, the more time I actually spent relaxing and taking time off, the more my business grew and the better my patient care became because I was more relaxed and I was more happy and I was more present. So that... I really think that's huge. Um, just actually scheduling time off and saying, okay, at 5.30 p.m., I'm done working. If you feel like you have this idea or something comes up, just quickly jot it down and then put it away. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. And I think having, just to add on to that, having boundaries, like say if you work from home, for me, it's like, well, I'm done, but like, oh, what's it to go into my office and open the computer and do another hour, right? So like exactly. the yes. physical, there's not physical boundaries. So I know a girlfriend of mine, um, who I've actually had on the podcast before, and we talked a little bit about boundaries, uh, Brandy, she actually will like have a, I don't know if it's like a special um, cloth or kind of blanket, but she'll oh, actually yeah. put it over her laptop oh, nice. <laughs> when she's done kind of as like a ritual yeah, that's to great. say like, okay, I'm done work. Or And I think she does that with her TV as well. Like at the end of the night, totally. She'll put it over her TV and I'm like, that's pretty great. Cause it's signaling yourself like, okay, I'm done. Yes. I'm done now. And, and it feels more concrete that way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I've actually had patients that will put, they get a special box 
um, that has a ribbon on it. And they'll at like whatever time they decide, like 530, they'll put their phone in there <laughs> and then tie it up that. and leave it at the front door. <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning to get the box because I'm like, if not, I'm just on my phone all the time. And exactly. It's like, yeah. You, you kind of get out, you're like on your phone and then you're like, wait, what happened? Where did all the time go? So it's like stopping yourself before you get to that place. Yes, exactly. And so the next steps, we kind of talked about this already, but batch your time. So like I said, instead of switching from task to task, batch what you're doing. So schedule all of your one on ones or meetings in the the same time slot. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, instead of having breaks in my schedule for seeing patients, I see them back to back for a certain block of time. And then I can work on my online um, stuff kind of later on in the day or earlier in the day, depending on when I'm seeing patients. And then another thing, and this kind of goes back to the research I was talking about, but she talks about managing tasks by energy and not urgency. Um, And Mm. I love this. So this is, it's more for, so I'll kind of go through the, the, the little things that she says here, but because entrepreneurs are constantly making decisions and thinking new thoughts that can lead to fatigue, but um, we also have the the ability to control our schedule, which is, is huge. So she says, when you're well rested within the first three to four hours of waking, that's when you should be doing um, things that, you know, demand decision making, creativity and difficult analysis. So she says, make decisions first in your best hour. Mm-hmm. And then when your mid range energy and clarity hours, that's when you should be doing more concentration, learning, writing. Um, when you know that you have more low energy, foggy hours, that's when you should do more repetitive, familiar things like email, admin, um, even restoration. So if you want to do like meditation or yoga in that time. And then as I said before, reduce the tasks, the task switching. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that, I, that's really key. And then yeah. kind of to add to that, doing work that you feel like doing. So this is something I learned really on early on in school when I was going through burnout, cause I was trying to do too many things all the time. And then you end up reading the same things over and over and trying to write the same article over <laughs> and over and not never getting it done. So a big thing is, okay, I have a list of five things that I need to do. Which one do I want to do? Mm. <laughs> and then do that because you're actually going to have motivation and excitement to do that. And then you get it out of the way. So you feel like you've accomplished something and then you can move on to the next thing instead of trying to work on the thing you don't want to do as much and keep thinking about the other thing. So that's kind of, that's another big thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that makes so much sense. Like just like our, you know, um, our cycle, like our periods, you know, as women, you know, there's certain times where we're a lot more creative and energized and other times where we need rest. Um, And actually there's a lot coming out now about the moon and the moon cycles and how, you know, there's certain times of the month where, you know, same thing. It's kind of like our, our hormones and our periods. So I think it's just like knowing your day like that too, like seeing the day as a cycle and being like, when do I have the most energy? When do I like really lose energy? But here's my question, because Mm -hmm. for me personally, I'm not the most focused in the morning. Like it takes me, like my ideal start is like 10 a.m. for clients. And then around like three o'clock, I kind of get a second wave of energy. But I actually really like working in the evenings. Yeah. Um, I usually will will be productive between, let's say, 7 to 9 p.m. Yeah. So is that encouraging burnout because it's changing melatonin levels or changing like, you know, any kind of energy in my body? And what I'm getting here is like, does it matter that, what times you're productive to help yourself stay out of burnout or is it just when your body and your energy works best? This is such a good question. I love that you asked this question. Um, 
So part of me wants to say, no, just take the morning off, like try and take the morning off as long as you're getting the right amount of time off. But I know physiologically that that's not true Um, Mm -hmm. for our circadian rhythm. So basically what happens is our cortisol spikes in the morning. That's what gives us lots of energy to get us out of bed. So you should have the most energy in the morning. Um, And then it slowly goes down throughout the day and afternoon, and then it drops at night. And that's what keeps you sleeping at night. And the drop in cortisol at night is what helps with the melatonin production and having the light off at night is what helps with melatonin production. So if you are working on your computer later in the evenings, you're actually um, telling your brain that it's light out and that (laughs) you're ready to be awake and your cortisol is actually elevating before bed, which you don't want. Mm. Um, so, I mean, I think everyone, I do believe everyone is different and works a little bit differently, but, um, so I would say I would just experiment, try switching it and see what happens. Um, or just try making sure that you're scheduling time off for yourself. But I know like physiologically, you do need that time in the evening to, to not be doing a lot, um, Mm -hmm. with light, light things like computers. Well, and it could just be that I'm, um, creating the cycle (laughs) by doing that right because if I'm going to bed if I'm doing the work and the cortisol is off and it's spiking differently and then you know you're in that and then I I think it's just a perfect example of that's how sometimes people get to burnout it's not like like I said earlier it's not like a bam it hit it's like a slow progression of doing these small little things yeah that are going to add up over time and that maybe are hurting you in the long run yeah for sure because you're basically training your brain that okay at 7 p.m., that's when we need to produce more cortisol. So then you're kind of reinforcing that cycle. So of course, you feel more more energy at night. Oh, boy, I just got a lesson. I guess tonight <laughs> I'm going to bed early. I'm getting up early. <laughs> we'll give it a try and see how it give works. Give it a try but, and see how it works. It's yeah. kind of retraining that cortisol cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So were there any more tips? Or um, I just yeah. wanted to make sure I gave you some oh, yeah. space to I had, that. Yeah, just a couple more. So which we are talking about, meditate, do yoga, or... I say even do nothing for at least 10 minutes a day. So it's not about scheduling meditation or yoga all the time. Sometimes it's just coming home. You don't feel like doing those, but just do nothing. Give yourself some time for some zen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, which I mean for nutritionists, I'm hopefully you're already doing this, but try and limit coffee to one to three times per week max. Um, mm. Coffee really does kill your energy and it can increase anxiety and it, it actually shifts that cortisol pattern. So I was at a conference um, a few months ago, and I mean, the half-life of coffee is around five to seven hours. So if you're having a cup of coffee at, let's say, 10 a.m., you still have, and I can't remember the exact milligrams, but I think it was around 22 milligrams in your bloodstream at midnight. So like that, that's a lot of caffeine. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's really shifting that whole cortisol pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last thing is supplements, which I already talked about before. I love supplements, and I really do think that they are key at supporting your body during stress. It's just finding the right ones for you, but I've had stressful times where I forgot to take them or I've run out of them. And I noticed a huge difference in how productive I am, how much energy I have and how I respond to stress. So those are kind of my main, my main tips. Those are great. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's nice just to hear that. I think a lot of them, because we're, you know, all health practitioners here, we, we know them or we've heard them, but it's the putting into practice, I think is the most important (laughs) thing here because we can, and I remember this, I, I think I've shared this on the podcast before where I'll never forget I was in a consultation back to back with clients like years ago. And I was telling each person, make sure you're eating, you know, snacks throughout the day, keeping your energy stabilized, like, um, make sure you're having a proper breakfast, lots of protein. And I remember it was like my third client. And I was like getting woozy. I was like, Mm. whoa, like starting to feel like, you know, like those spots of like, yes, 
my brain was foggy and it just wasn't a good scenario. And I think it was like, it was obvious because I hadn't had breakfast that morning. And here I am like, how contradictory telling this client, you better eat breakfast. So I think, again, it's like, we can know all these things, but we have to have to apply them to ourselves. Actually, that should be my my last tip. Then I should add that on is having someone to support you. (laughs) I think having, you know, having someone that's keeping you on, um, you know, because we're spending so much time supporting other people. So oftentimes, we don't get someone to support ourselves. But it is really helpful to have someone say, Hey, are you taking care of yourself? (laughs) Are you eating breakfast? You know? Um, Yeah, every healthcare practitioner needs their own healthcare practitioner. Exactly. Yes, for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, why don't you just then take a second to tell us a little bit about like, how you support your clients? Like if somebody here wanted to work with you, what could be the opportunity for them would it be in person or maybe share a little bit about your online opportunity that's going to come um, come out soon okay great yeah so I have a local practice but that's really reserved for just people locally but I am working on an online program to help female entrepreneurs overcome burnout because like I said it's something I see all the time and it's something I'm super passionate about because I love helping people that are helping more people and I know that there's yeah there's lots that you can do to just help so you're not you're not overwhelming yourself but Um, I haven't been speaking about it a ton online, but like I said, I am launching a beta program for the first round sometime in March. So in this, we'll go through labs, nutrition, lifestyle, mindset, and supplement specific for you. So if you want more info on that, you can send me a DM on Instagram. Um, Instagram is mostly where I I show up and hang out these days. Um, My handle is at dramandashea, so at Dr. Amanda Shea. And then keep watch for my official program that will be launching in May. Awesome. I'm excited. I'm like... I want to sign up for this yeah, program. Totally. Well, let me know. <laughs> it sounds good. And and again, I, I truly believe that, you know, we do need people on our team because yes. if we try to, even though we can have the knowledge, it's just all about like, are we making the time to actually do those things? And I think so many of us unfortunately aren't. Yes. So, you know, having someone like you on our team um, to, to even remind us or give us those little like nudges would be, you know, so beneficial because the more, you as a person are getting help, you can help more of your clients, you can give way more to your clients. Exactly. So I think it's a yeah. win-win. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Amanda. This was such a great chat. I love that, you know, not only do we talk about burnout, but we also ter- talked about business yes. and how you got started. So it was such a informative and fun chat for me. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for all the awesome questions. I had such a good time. Thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, feel free to leave us a review, share the episode with a friend or take us on social media. Catch you next time.